I'd say the best thing about being on campus is being able to collaborate with other students. Traditionally, universities have used their physical and cultural presence to give students the chance to create communities and gain life experiences. But with the great online pivot, how important is the campus? I think all students, irrespective of their stage and maturity, benefit from an on-campus experience. Are there things about the campus that can't be replicated online? A lot of universities have been around for quite some time. So there's a history, there's a culture, and that you cannot get by watching the monitor. There's no doubt that higher education has been changed by the pandemic. As we move forward, universities will have to balance a range of issues, such as widening access to quality education, preparing students for the world of work, and environmental sustainability. Does this mean that in the future, time on campus will be more limited and perhaps more valuable? I'm Natasha Locken. Welcome to the Internationalist podcast from the Association of Commonwealth Universities. My guests are Professor Giselle Burns, Provost and Assistant Vice-Chancellor of Massey University, New Zealand, and Professor Rocky Tuan, Vice-Chancellor and President of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Before we hear from them, Let's find out what students at Massey University think about the pros and cons of studying on campus. So the benefits are probably the group environment. It's way better than Zoom. You can actually sit down with people doing the same degree as you and have conversations and that kind of human interaction. Location of it, it's very close, especially if you live on the shore. It's nice and convenient. Don't have to bus into the city. Probably using the facilities at uni. Like I don't have a lot of that stuff at home and it provides me with a better environment to study because I get distracted at home. The best part about being on campus is the social part of it. So studying in all different groups and negative is just the, the parking. Negatives, probably the parking is a bit of an issue. For me, it's coming into campus. It takes a really long time to travel here. I'd say the best thing about being on campus is being able to collaborate with other students. So if you've come up with any mental blocks, you can work through it versus being at home where you kind of have to consult the vast knowledge of the internet, trawl through thousands of pages of resources and maybe not even find the answer. Collaborating with students can also mean distractions with those same students. So it can be hard to stay on task. So it's a double-edged sword, I'd say. So for these students, the main benefits of being on campus are being able to socialise and learn with and from their friends. I asked Professor Giselle Burns, Provost and Assistant Vice-Chancellor of Massey University, to tell me more about their campus and student base. Massey University has three physical campuses here in New Zealand and a significant cohort of distance learners. So we have approximately 30,000 students who study with us, both uh, based here in New Zealand and also offshore. Roughly 50% of our students study via distance or now online as we call it. About 15% of our students are international and we have a very different cohort to the other New Zealand universities in that about 43% of our students are under the age of 25 years, but 57% 
are over the age of 25 years of age, so are considered to be mature age students. And in addition to that, about 40% of our students are studying full-time, but 60% of our students study in part-time mode. So we have a very different student profile to a number of other New Zealand universities. The students we heard from at the beginning said that being able to socialise and learn from their peers was the biggest benefit of being on campus. Is this something that you've heard across the board at Massey? I think all students, irrespective of their uh, stage and maturity, benefit from an on-campus experience. And we do know that for a range of subjects and disciplines that are best taught in experiential mode, that that is the best way to learn. Uh, we also know that an on-campus experience provides to students the kind of social engagement and interactions that's a critical part of being at university and of uh, learning and of the holistic student experience. And having said that, um, throughout Massey's history, because we have for about 50 years been a distance provider, we have long been um, familiar with supporting students who study at distance. And we have been and our staff continue to be very experienced in building distance communities, now online communities, to try and replicate that kind of on-campus experience. So, so I think it really differs according to the kind of experience that students are seeking and the kind of reasons why they come to study at university. So a number of our students, particularly those who study in part-time mode, are also in employment at the same time and they're very strategic in terms of their learning objectives and the goals that they have in coming to study at university. So I think it really differs depending on the student and what they are hoping to seek from their experience. In episode four, we explored the idea of blended learning as the new normal. Do you think you can replicate that social experience that students talk about online? It's very interesting, isn't it? Because peer-to-peer -peer learning has, has long been a feature of, I think, a university experience. But particularly here at Massey University, we have really enhanced and tried to support that peer-to-peer -peer learning experience. So remembering that many of our students are considered mature age students and they come to their uh, learning encounters, whether that's in an online platform or face-to-face -face on campus, with experiences to share with others. So that peer-to-peer -peer engagement has always been very important for us, irrespective of the mode. When I reflect on the changes wrought by uh, the last year or so and the, the pivot to online, I mean, our staff have been actively engaged in encouraging students to develop chat groups and to have that really rich online engagement. So uh, I think in, in many respects that's always been a feature of the sort of on-campus engagement, of the online engagement, and particularly when you've got mature learners who bring so much richness into the conversations. I, I think also that, you know, in the age of the flipped classroom, which has again long been a feature of the pedagogy at Massey, um, where the focus in the class time, whether that's a lab experience or a lecture theatre or a seminar or tutorial room, the, the focus is really on discussion and the acquisition of content uh, happens outside that space so that engagement and learning through discourse, learning through talking with others, learning through 
um, learning from others' experiences, I think, has always been a key feature of the educational experience of universities. So, um, you know, there are very good ways in which you can replicate that and indeed enhance that through online and blended modes. How can campus-based learning help those from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds? I think all students come to university from a different place. Um, and so, you know, here in New Zealand, uh, we have a very strong commitment to open access to university education. At Massey University, we have very strong values around equity, access and excellence. And we see those things being absolutely important to us, which is why we have such a diverse cohort. So people start their learning journey from different places. And I think the, the responsibility and role of, of university and of educators is to ensure that our students play to their strengths and that they do achieve the goals that they set themselves to do. But that means that um, there are differential levels of support that need to be put into place. I, I think, in fact, online and through the online learning platform, um, you can find highly personalised ways to do that in the same way that you can uh, through an on-campus experience as well. I mean, I would say also that um, one of the things that we've seen discussed at length through the pivot to online in the last year or 18 months has been that in many respects the on-campus experience has been held up as the sort of gold standard um, against which we have compared other learning modes. And I think what the current moment and certainly in our context here at Massey University, where we are planning for a blended uh, delivery future, we're seeing there are real benefits and virtues in online delivery, the highly personalised nature of it, which we can customise to students' learning needs. Um, and that dovetails into and complements with the on-campus traditional experiences. And what changes, if any, have you made to your campus to accommodate blended learning? Yes, well, blended learning was in many respects a, a, a characteristic of Massey University pre-COVID in that we offered both uh, distance and on-campus uh, learning experiences to students. Um, throughout 2020, when we uh, virtually for much of the year went sort of 100% online or thereabouts, um, uh, what it really demonstrated to us was that uh, we can be flexible, we can move at pace, we can be very agile. It also highlighted to us some of the efficiencies that, that we could actually obtain. So where pre-COVID we had been teaching um, courses in a face-to-face -face mode and teaching those same courses in an online uh, platform, I think throughout 2020, we utilised the opportunity to look at how we could bring those together so that we were actually talking to one learning cohort through two platforms. And it's accelerated that consolidation process. Uh, I mean, we're very keen to see how we can continue to consolidate our academic offer, if you like, so that we're not duplicating, we're not replicating. We're being more efficient in terms of supporting staff and their workload and particularly research active staff who teach so that they've got sufficient time to conduct their research. So, so the blended learning um, delivery has been both an opportunity for us to really rethink what we do uh, in terms of the mode of delivery from the teaching perspective, but also from the student perspective um, 
it's an opportunity for us to position as absolutely equivalent in quality the off-campus online study mode, learning mode, uh, alongside the on-campus face-to-face learning mode. So they're absolutely equivalent in quality. And, and I think that, again, goes back to Massey University's commitment to access and to equity and to excellence. Uh, and that's very, very important for us. You mentioned giving staff sufficient time to conduct their research. How has that been impacted by the pandemic? What challenges have you had to face? So here in New Zealand, I mean, we've been very fortunate in that we we had periods of uh, complete lockdown last year. Um, But we are, for all intents and purposes, very much uh, back on campus and, in addition, uh, in online mode. But but that's really because we have the flexibility to do that. Having said that, we know that our researchers across the board, postgraduate researchers and academic researchers, were severely impacted by the events of last year. And those events will continue to play out, I think, over coming years. We know uh, that also women researchers were disproportionately impacted uh, because women have been uh, also carrying a double burden in terms of domestic duties and and so on and so forth. And I think that's been borne out by much of the the research that has been uh, undertaken on the impact of the pandemic. And finally, I would say that here in New Zealand, many of our researchers rely quite extensively on um, travelling to other parts of the world in terms of not just presenting their research but engaging in in research opportunities. And because we have been unable to travel, researchers have had to be very creative to find other ways to connect, whether it's online or whether it's accessing materials and audiences remotely. So I think in many respects, the impact on research is is not really clear at the moment, but I do think that it's going to have a medium and long-term uh, set of consequences. And you spoke about research students being unable to travel due to the pandemic. Do you think that your students in general would choose to study in New Zealand rather than studying abroad? Quite possibly. I mean, um, there's always been a, something of a rite of passage for students who are seeking to uh, travel abroad. Uh, whether they're undergraduate or postgraduate students. I think all students are going to think very hard about how far they travel uh, and what the attendant risks might be in making those kind of decisions. And parents as decision makers and uh, family members are going to be quite strong influences on that as well. I mean, here in New Zealand, even domestically, we have a tradition of students travelling around the country um, that students tend not to be highly place-based as they are in some other countries. I suspect that we might see students even domestically staying a little bit closer to home. So perhaps as a result of the pandemic, we'll see fewer students from New Zealand at universities in other parts of the world. Massey University has considerable experience of online learning. Around half of their students study at distance. I asked my next guest, Professor Rocky Tuan, Vice-Chancellor and President of the Chinese University of Hong Kong, if he thought that universities would function digitally first and as a physical space second in the future. I would say that uh, tradition is still going to come first. I think uh, the university, which is an institution of at least a thousand years old, if, if not older, has its place. The importance has evolved I think universities have now uh, picked up 
and 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 rightfully so the the um, the duty of being the place where adolescents grow up to be adults. Okay, this is a very critical stage biologically, and physiologically, and mentally, and physically. Right. So you're talking about 1822. I think one of the most important thing is that. Is probably the highest concentration a young person will see of people of about the same age, about the same biological changes, somewhat similar in terms of desire of what to become、uh, when this time is over. So, for all of those things, you need a concentration. Digital concentration is good, but insufficient. If all you do is watch things on a monitor, yes, you may get a lot of knowledge about something, but you're missing the other things, and that other thing needs a physical presence. So I think you need both for sure, because you never know what's going to happen. Another variant may show up, all right. And so we need to be prepared. But on the other hand, I would say if we go totally digital, I think the certainly the 18 to 22 year olds will suffer. A lot of universities have been around for quite some time, so there's a history, there's a culture that you cannot replicate. You go to Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge. The moment you go there, you look at King's College. Your brain starts to operate a little bit differently, and that you cannot get by watching the monitor. So this sense of chemistry and also this sense of culture then is really rooted in having a physical. Campus and having people physically present on the campus. Having said that, when it comes to campus-based learning, what should we get rid of and what should we keep? I think you do have to do a cost-benefit analysis. So I would say for courses or activities that are less dependent on an immersive experience, like these very large、uh, lecture course with a、uh, thousand students, everybody's known by some number or where they sit. The interaction is minimal. Right, it's just watch like watching a movie. Those things cost a lot of money because you need a very large hall. Building that large hall alone already costs a lot of money. Okay, you may be able to amortize it, but but still, you 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 put a lot of money in the beginning to build this large hall. So I would say we need to think twice about building these very large、uh, spaces to keep one、uh, thousand people. Particularly now with social distancing, maybe you need twice the size in order to hold a thousand people. So I think those things we need to think very carefully. They can be divided into sessions in smaller spaces or、uh, digitized. There are things that cannot be gotten rid of.、Right? You can't do chemistry on 2D, so it doesn't work that way. So I think those things you have to keep.、Uh, other important facilities like、uh, dormitories and residence halls. I mean, again, people have to live in real space, so you can get rid of those. Um, hospitals. Uh, we uh, we have a medical school, very large medical school, and so we actually just finished building a very important、uh, smart hospital, and that serves the university and the community. So that belongs to the university, but we can't get rid of that. Right? That's very important. I think we do have to do a very Careful cost-benefit analysis. And just thinking about the distinction that you do there between different kinds of courses, do you think that there's a risk of creating, I guess, a tiered system of experience? Given what you said about, you know, the value of face-to-face engagement. Yeah, unfortunately, it's probably happening、uh, too much during this immediate post-pandemic、uh, 
Uh, I hope it's post-pandemic. I hope that the pandemic goes away now. Uh, <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, yes, there have been activities and, and uh, academic courses that have been compromised. I think that's probably the best word to describe it. And we hear from students for sure. I think education has evolved from, you know, Confucius and Plato and Socrates uh, to, to what we have right now, which is a lot of is digital uh, and with lots of accessories, uh, special effects will come very soon, if not already. Uh, and so I, I do believe that we have changed. Okay, now, if we do this, will there be courses or activities that will be compromised? Yes and no. The no is actually increasing in size. Many things, I think, certainly can be done quite well. Now, with that, however, we need to have observed uh, that there are inequities uh, in the world. Uh, there are folks, there are families who have no IT or minimal IT capability. And so, so if, you, if everything is dependent on, oh, you know, good bandwidth and high-speed uh, internet, well, those who are, say, socioeconomically underprivileged, uh, they will be unfairly deprived. So I think we need to pay attention to that. And for us who are running universities, this is our job. We have to make sure that no one is left behind. And picking up on that idea, lots of universities, um, you know, have an express commitment to widening access to higher education for groups who, as you say, are socially disadvantaged. What is the role of campus versus online learning when it comes to widening access? Let's uh, spend a little bit of time on that. And uh, with that, I also wanted to indicate uh, students with special education needs. Uh, Just imagine someone who is hearing impaired or visually impaired uh, and you making this person do Zoom. We have students like that. And and we Mm -hmm. really work around all of this stuff and try to make sure that this individual is not left behind. So I think campus has that advantage. Because campus, we have the real person, right? We can really attempt to reach out to that student and make it possible, even with all other things going on, so that the education will continue. If we can go back to something you mentioned earlier, which was buildings. In episode one, Professor Martin Weller from the Open University in the UK uh, spoke about how sort of universities appear to be continually expanding and encroaching further into their local area. You mentioned social distancing, and obviously there are, you know, right now there are public health concerns. There's also the climate crisis and sustainability. So is that also a factor in thinking about new buildings and expanding the campus? Yeah, for sure. Our university, Chinese University of Hong Kong, actually uh, is the co-host of the UN Sustainable Development Solution Network chapter in Hong Kong, one of four in, in this part of Asia. It is possible to build a building that has very, very low carbon footprint. It is doable. It's, it's not easy, but it's doable. We have just tested a brand new kitchen waste processing machine. Four restaurants inside our campus, their kitchen waste, which used to be bags and bags and bags and go to landfill, right, is now dumped into this machine that liquefies the waste. 97% of it and all the spoons and everything or whatever, plastic bags, completely uh, segregated out. And then the liquid waste can then be used to produce energy, right? It's a biofuel. We need to think creatively 
Uh, every time we build a building, solar panel is part of it. So I think it is possible uh, to do this in a very sustainable and a renewable way. And uh, in fact, CUHK has made 2038 as the target year for zero carbon. Very ambitious. It happens to be our 75th anniversary. If we are able to achieve this, which I think we can, we will be ahead of the curve, actually, compared to a lot of places in the world. What do you think the future looks like for the international student experience? Also things like international branch campuses. Yeah, I think international experience or global experience is absolutely critical for this generation. And we are tasked, universities are tasked, I think, today in the 21st century to educate the next generation of global citizens. So if they don't have any international experience or exposure, how are they going to be global citizens? It's just simply not going to work. So last year, uh, CUHK pushed out this new program called the Virtual Student Exchange Program uh, under the Association of Pacific Rim University uh, banner. Uh, It's been very successful. We have 26 universities on four continents participating. Uh, The program is unique because it has coursework plus co-curricular cultural immersion experience. No one is flying anywhere but yet they're able to have this 3,000-mile-away experience. Uh, you mentioned this very interesting thing about branch campuses and, uh, and, and whatever. That really needs some thinking. A lot of it is dependent on the locale where the branch is located. If duplication is a totally brand-new thing for that region, yes, I'm all for it, right? But if the the place you're going to already has something more or less the same, don't do it. Just being able to put a brand name on something, uh, I think that's, to me, that's sort of commercial. Uh, uh, It's not really academic. On the other hand, if what you do is unique and better yet, a differentiation from the main campus, now that's worth thinking about. The differentiation product can then take advantage of what the new locale can offer. Now, that is a win-win situation. The way you've described how that win-win situation works, again, speaks to the importance of place and the context of the local environment and being aware and alive to that. What will the post-pandemic university need to be? My guess is that the future university will have a different student population. Uh, I, I describe this to people as encore education, right? People who are no longer the 18, 22-year-old that I mentioned earlier. And they may be in their 40s, 50s, out of either necessity or out of desire. They would like to have learned something new. The way of the future is there will be these students who either are empty nesters or they are doing a, they're undergoing career change and they would like to go back to the university. You will see them around the campus, right? In the physical campus. When I was going to, to university a long, long time ago, you know, pinball machines and video uh, machines, those, those were the things we wanted because you got to have a place that, you know, ding, 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 and so on and so forth, right? Well, but these guys who are 40, 50 year old, maybe they have already career and so forth, family and so on. They're now on campus. What do they want? Do they need a gym? 
Do they need uh, some uh, uh, a pinball machine like I used to want? No, I don't think so. I think they will want less fast food. You know, they have better taste now. But we will have a different group of students. So universities will have to morph accordingly. They might not have the time to do a four-year education. They might want some micro-credentialing, for example. They might just want some certificate. We're talking about real education dished out in a different way, a package in a different way. So I think we need to all think about this. Not easy, not easy. Both my guests today have highlighted how the demographic of students is evolving and that this should influence how campuses change and develop going forward. And while the sense of place and culture is important and will continue to be a significant factor in where students choose to study, the pandemic has shown that effective ways of creating that sense of community online will be increasingly important in the future. I'd like to thank the students at Massey University, Professor Giselle Burns, Provost and Assistant Vice-Chancellor of Massey, and Professor Rocky Tuan, President and Vice-Chancellor of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. The Association of Commonwealth Universities is committed to highlighting the issues that influence learning and teaching in our world. In the next and final edition, we'll be reflecting on what we've discussed so far in the series, and we'll be looking ahead to the future beyond higher education. What's the role of universities in the digital transformation happening across wider society? So please do subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts and like, comment and share the programme. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Just search for the Association of Commonwealth Universities. The Internationalist is presented by me, Natasha Locken, and produced by Jill Davis. It's an Earshot Strategies production for the Association of Commonwealth Universities.